Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and today we are talking about two sort of superhero movies, The Old Guard and Fast Color. But first, let's catch up. What are you into, Bridget? Um, so I'm reading a really great book. I think it's pretty new. It's called Conjure Woman by Afia uh, Adakora. And it's about um, this young woman who was an enslaved person and she is kind of like her village's town healer, um, her village's healer, and a midwife and a doctor. And the narrative of the story jumps back and forth between when she was enslaved with her mother and then after the Civil War. Um, and it's it's a really beautifully written, like kind of spooky book about um, this particular time in history. And I don't want to give away some of the bigger twists, but, um, I haven't really read many books like it. I think, uh, a few of the blurbs on the book cover compare her to Toni Morrison. Um, but it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. I think it would be a really cool movie one day. Um, yeah, it's very, it's good spooky, uh, spooky reading, uh, for the fall season. Um, I've also been watching the legend of Korra to kind of follow up on my, uh, avatar, the last Mm -hmm. airbender, uh, spree earlier this summer. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you, Netflix, for putting Cora on. Yes, uh, thank you. <laughs> people had primed me for it not to be good. Not you in particular, but like I did. I like everyone, everyone was like, "The Legend of Cora is not that good." It's yeah. just like such a different show, you know. Um, yeah, it's like it's in the same universe, but I think it's a good thing that they didn't try to make it just like cute kids again running around. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, they tried to be different and they tried to expand the universe in interesting ways that, uh, I think really work and really like make it seem like more rich. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, finished the two episode arc that kind of explains the origin of the avatar. Mm-hmm. And I'm really into deep world building like that. I think mm-hmm. Cora is a great character. Mm-hmm. I'm less sold on her friends. Yeah. Like I just I love Bowen, much. but yeah, I just don't. I I think I'll warm up to Bolin, but I don't care about Mako at all. Yeah, uh, I hate Mako. You'll never warm up to him. He's yeah, bad I'm just like, forever. Oh, he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I think like so. I am one of those people that primed you for it to be terrible. Yeah. And I think like when I I I, I rewatched the entire thing like a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. I didn't remember like any of it and now i'm wondering if i had never seen the full thing because oh, it was just yeah. on tv it was on tv yeah yeah, yeah for sure. but i really liked it actually and i it is like i don't know i i definitely had a greater appreciation for it this time maybe mm-hmm. because my expectations were so low but also yeah. i just think i think it is a good show and i like that mm-hmm. it's different than avatar um yeah and cora is really cool i mean she's like very flawed which i think is cool and it's nice to have like so many adult characters in the show too Mm -hmm. because they are all super flawed and it's just very interesting to see like a kid's show kind of deal with that yeah that's a really good point um yeah that's a great point i forgot what i was gonna say sorry totally (laughs) agree wait no i was gonna say that it's interesting that there are more seasons of Korra than there are of avatar you know, yeah, like they did their I think, three season arc and then they kind of, they did four for Korra. I think the seasons are longer in Avatar though. Oh, okay. Maybe. Right wait, too. I think they're it's like, like 13. Episodes. Yeah. Versus, and it's yeah. like, I think they're about the same episode mm-hmm. length actually. Okay. Like, 
That's good. I feel like this is uh, like they did a better job of extending a universe even like remember the cringy last chapter of Harry Potter where they're like here all the kids have the same names as the adults and Mm -hmm. everyone had a baby with their Mm -hmm. high school sweetheart Mm -hmm. it's it's better than that they handle it they expand the world more meaningfully than than that yes Um, and i guess because they had like 50 to 60 episodes to do it and not just like yeah that's true a five paragraph like but still (laughs) yeah it's a lot better yeah um the last thing that i'm into recently is i started the most recent season of the podcast you must remember this with Karina Longworth and it's um, the season is dedicated to the writer, producer, production designer, Polly Platt, who um, was married to the director, Peter Bogdanovich, and she died recently, like within the past 10 years. And this is kind of like a long critical overdue look at her career. She has kind of been forgotten about or not fully appreciated for all of her contributions to film. She had a hand in so many amazing films. She basically kickstarted Wes Anderson's career. She helped create the Simpsons. She was like everywhere, had her hands in lots of different things and um, never got her due, you know? And I, I think I read an interview with Karina Longworth about her creating this season. And she kind of pointed out that a lot of people think of directors as being like the sole creator creator or creative presence on a movie or film when it's really like a kitchen and the director is the head chef, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone else is working and making food, you know, and mm-hmm. their contributions are felt and mm-hmm. important. Um, and that we, it's like kind of like the auteur theory that, makes it seem like one person is responsible for a movie mm-hmm. when it's really like a workplace, you know, yeah. it's like you would, you wouldn't say that your CEO is responsible for, well, if you believe that billionaires deserve all the money they've accumulated, you would say that about <laughs> Jeff Bezos, but that's not true. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is a workplace and everyone contributes. So mm-hmm. it's really, it's an interesting look at movies from that perspective, you know, mm-hmm. kind of decentralizing the creation of movies. What are you Aww. into Mackenzie? Um, so I watched Trinkets on Netflix and, um, it's a show about three teenagers that meet in a support group for kleptomaniacs Ooh! and, um, it's super sweet. Uh, they, it's just about them. Like basically it's at the core. It's about like them just becoming friends and supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And the soundtrack is also like directly lifted from my Spotify favorites with like Ooh. soccer mommy and stuff. So, etc. Like Lucy Dacus, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, <laughs> every time. So, yeah, highly recommend that. Uh, it was very sweet. And uh, the second season just came out two weeks ago or something like that um and it's only two seasons so there's like a definitive ending at the second season which is nice actually um and then the second thing is the instagram account for the pure app p-u-r-e um their handle is at the pure app and it's a dating app but i followed it because an illustrator that I follow was commissioned to illustrate a like dating slash sex story for the account. And so I went on the account and they just do this all the time where they like collect stories from 
people who follow them or people who work for them or just like friends and then they pay illustrators to make it into like a little mini like graphic uh story and i was just scrolling through it like looking at all these different like mini Mm -hmm. graphic novels almost like um and it was so nice and cute they're like it's just such a like such a sweet little dose of like romance you know yeah and it's such an interesting and unique way to be a dating app too yeah i mean i don't i haven't like actually gone on the app <laughs> but i know now i like know about it and it's in the back of my head for if i want to use it but go. i would just recommend like following them on instagram to have like those cute little romantic art things mm-hmm. and you could like it's so cool that they like find these artists and pay them to create their content on social media too i love that Mm -hmm. um and then the third thing i'm into is the movie only yesterday which i was able to finally watch because of your hbo max oh oh my gosh (laughs) um and so hbo max has all the ghibli movies and only yesterday and ocean waves were the only ones that i had never seen so I watched uh, Ocean Waves, which is like fine, but yeah. I, it's, it has like some interesting like uh, moments in it. But only yesterday I thought was like super sweet. It's about a 27 year old woman who works nine to five in Tokyo, and she's like always lived there her whole life, and she takes time off work for um, a vacation every year to just go work on a farm, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so this year she goes to work on the farm and she like meets this guy, this farmer, Toshio, and it's like the entire time she's flashing back to her fifth grade self. So it's like, uh, two narratives at once Mm -hmm. and sort of, she's like rediscovering kind of what her fifth grade self wanted out of life Mm -hmm. and dealing with a lot of like unresolved memories i guess from her family and things like that um and at one point she's like my memories were playing like a movie in my head and they were like almost taking over like what i was actually experiencing and living Mm. in my current life and i was like Mm. wow i feel like that all the time (laughs) so i don't know it was just really sweet i'm glad i finally got to watch it so Mm -hmm. um yeah, do the free trial for HBO Max just to watch Ghibli movies. Frankly, oh yeah, just just I, that's what I was trying to do, and then I got sucked into it. I, I feel like it. all all like seven of us that have your access to your account should like split it. Oh please, you. it's fine, it's fine, it's really not that much. And I, I like used to pay for HBO on my Amazon account, and now I, I'm paying just for HBO Max, and I feel like I've divested from Amazon. You know, I felt good about it. I was like. I'm not using Amazon to watch HBO anymore. I'm going straight to the source. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. So I'm an activist. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's dive into it to our superhero movies. Okay. So the first step is we're going to talk about the old guard, which just came out this year in 2020, I think in June. Um, okay. Andy or Andromachi. <laughs> I think it's, I think you could just say Andromachi. Andromeda, Andromeda of Scythia. Okay, because that's what they mean, right? I think so. <laughs> okay. She says, when she says it the first time, it's so cool, but also so 
uh, indistinguishable. Like I don't know. Like, I know. I know. It's like I did not understand her pronunciation <laughs> there. Okay, Andy or Andromeda of Scythia is thousands of years old, mostly immortal, and able to miraculously recover from even the most grave injuries. Along with her similarly ancient warrior companions, Booker, Nikki, and Joe, she has kept watch over humanity, intervening when necessary to protect the weak. The group faces a new nemesis in the form of a conniving big pharma bro who wants to capture the old guard and harvest their unique DNA. Luckily, the newest addition to their group, a young Marine named Niall, reinvigorates the jaded warrior's mission. This movie was directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, who I maybe have pronounced her name differently on our Love and Basketball episode, and I apologize. Uh, <laughs> but she is known for Love and Basketball, um, Beyond the Lights, and uh, you know a few other movies. She's had, uh, I think, five movies come out in 20 years, and she is the first black woman director to take on a big-budgeted superhero movie adapted from a comic book. I was kind of like that parameter uncertain if she was the first um you know to adapt a superhero movie um it's crazy that there are still firsts like that you know yeah especially since we've had so many superhero, superhero movies, movies for like 20 yeah. years yeah for sure um mm-hmm. i do think that her uh direction was able to i think she did such a good job basically um, I mm-hmm. feel like, although I didn't love this movie, I feel like her direction was like definitely one of the strengths of it. Yes. Like she was so good at directing the action, I feel like, mm-hmm. which I mean, the action was just really well choreographed. So I feel like yeah, that uh, allowed her to direct it well. And, um, but I, it, it, yeah, I guess we could. I don't know if you want to talk about. Yeah, let's just jump Holmes. into the fight scenes. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, she you know what's interesting as I in the few interviews we read with Gina, she kept bringing up that she was an athlete too. Mm-hmm. She was like, "This is my athlete's mind. Like, this mm-hmm. is something I know from being an athlete. I'm an athlete." And uh, I thought that was interesting to think of, you know, love and basketball too, and kind of it's very rare to have kind of like the intersection of athletes like athleticism and art in that way, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really, you think of them as very separate spheres. Yeah. Like you can never imagine Martin Scorsese being like, I'm an athlete, you know, <laughs> but I think that's really cool. And that obviously gives her, um, and it kind of shows in her movies too, the way she's interested in bodies and how they interact with each other and mm-hmm. w- how they also represent the character, you know, right. in a meaningful way. I think, um, it, it was it, the scene, the action scene that was my favorite was also the one in the plane. I think you wrote that yours mm. was that was your favorite as well, yeah. where Niall has sort of just been taken under Andy's wing, um, and they're on a plane to reunite with the rest of the group, and Niall's still sort of struggling with the reality of what is happening to her and isn't quite sure what to think and mm-hmm. is pissed off at Andy for. like kidnapping her and killing her and then she's brought back to life obviously um but it was like a shot of adrenaline to see these two women fight each other and be just so athletic Mm. and like capable in their own bodies and very like strong i know it like it's like I don't want to be like, oh, these like strong women or do you know what I mean? But I, yeah. but it was like super, but like, because it was so well, like I think choreographed and shot it, it 
was just like inspiring, I guess. And I think that it didn't feel like it was a fight scene just to make the movie like look cooler. Like there was something to prove between the two characters. And I think it's like a point of reckoning for Niall where she finally starts to come to terms with like what happened to her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say that in that scene, Niall's arm is broken and I felt that in that moment, Niall was like, recognizing that although she like regenerates all the time that there's still like trauma I guess and Mm -hmm. and pain that comes along with like being like brutally injured all the time but I also felt like by the end of the movie that sense of like trauma was sort of forgotten uh, or like the gore and the violence became sort of like more carelessly thrown about especially because the mm. like at the end of climax of the movie Niall jumps out of a window and like you see her body like uh regenerating Brutally, which was yeah. like especially jarring I think yeah yeah for sure I totally agree with you um that they kind of lose that thread um but I do think that the strong point of this movie is Gina's uh, direction, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an interview with Terry Gross on Fresh Air on NPR, she talked about how um, she would talk through the story of each fight. And um, she said that each great action scene has a beginning, a middle, and an end that is character-driven and that it's emotional. Um, so when we would talk about the story of each one that helped design the fight, and what should happen within the fight. And it helps the actors know what they're doing in the fight. There's got to be stakes to it, which Mm -hmm. uh, I think is a really cool perspective. And she also talked about, um, she said, whenever there's a cool fight between two women, it always has to turn into the sexy cat fight, as opposed to these two women who are warriors, let them fight. Let's marvel at their athleticism. That's what excites me. I know it's because I'm an athlete and grew up an athlete. And those are the women that I grew up around me. And that made me think of love and basketball too. You Mm -hmm. know, that like um, that character in that movie is beautiful and gorgeous and but like you're in awe of her like her body and like what it can accomplish Mm -hmm. as well as her um physical beauty Mm -hmm. i thought that was really interesting and she also mentioned in uh she also mentioned in an interview i'm having trouble finding it right now but she said i wanted she's like it's not realistic always for a woman to be able to fight like a man um and that she said i wanted there's still things women can do in fights that look cool mm-hmm. and that are kind of like realistic about like how a woman's body would fight. Yeah. And on one hand I was like, it is a superhero movie, you right. know, like I don't know if we need it to be realistic for, you know, like Brie Larson as Captain Marvel or whatever to fight mm-hmm. like how a normal woman would. But right. um, I did think that was interesting for this movie too. I agree. <laughs> Do you want to talk about, okay. So they are four people who are ancient. They can speak, regenerate after being killed they can be killed uh eventually they kind of like lose their immortality or they become slower to heal um and i think the biggest part of this movie that i did not like was kind of how their overarching overarching mission and origin story was treated um so they felt to me uh like vampires mm-hmm. you know in that they were incredibly old and youthful um but unlike vampires who typically in media are kind of content to be bad sadly and sexually think about their immortality 
and like dress like rock stars and not give a fuck about anyone. These guys were like vampire cops. They were like, mm-hmm. we have been put here to fight question mark yeah. on the side of the week question mark. It very unclear mm-hmm. about they're like it, the regimes we fight for change mm-hmm. over time. What did you think about that? I think that on the one hand, it was like nice that they did like at least care on like, uh, like the vampires and only lovers left alive where they were just very like mm-hmm. above it all and still like killing people occasionally, but very like flippant about human life. And I think that in this movie, like, uh, at least Niall like mentions, she, she's sort mm-hmm. of like, I, Andy, uh, kills like, I don't know, like 20 people. Uh, untold yeah. amounts of people. And, uh, just like by herself in a church and Niall's like, is that what I'm supposed to do? Like, I don't want to do that. That's horrible. Yes, so yes. at least they like touch upon it, but I don't know yeah. if it like tracks for me throughout the whole movie because at the end, like they're all just doing the same thing, killing yeah. a bunch of people. It's like at the same time, it is like a superhero movie, and I guess that that's what we're conditioned, like, co- yeah, conditioned yeah. to just like accept. But like, um, I it's like haven't they like accumulated a bunch of like wealth that they can use to influence stuff right. instead or something I, right 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 right. that's what i was thinking too like maybe they should know by now maybe the reason they're feeling so jaded is because they've learned that violence is not the best form of justice yeah and it's pro- probably to address poverty and inequality right the, and the it's way like, of it's also like they are like they are mortal but they are still just like four and now five people or whatever so i guess it's like how much can, can they, they really do, do? um and yeah. like i don't know i i think that you do want that like i guess grappled I, with a bit more yeah yeah they do like, somewhat they do somewhat like yeah. there's a little bit of ennui between booker and um andy like what is our purpose what are we doing mm-hmm. here uh, you know, are we here to just kill random henchmen? Like in the very first kind of action sequence when they think they're going to save a bunch of girls who have been captured by like an extremist group mm-hmm. and they're just like killing henchmen right and left to get into it. I was thinking to myself, like what we know about extremist groups is that like some of these henchmen you were killing were probably also kidnapped as children, yes, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's, I, I, thought the I same know it's thing. overthinking, but you know, it's like, mm-hmm. that is what I was thinking about. And I think that it's, you know, I think that superhero movies too can kind of are also like propaganda to a certain extent. You know, the thought mm-hmm. that a very like an all powerful human being would be kind of like there to decide on the spot if someone can live or die. You right. know, uh, yeah, for sure, I totally agree. I did. Linda Holmes in her article said, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, t- sort of talking about them struggling. Uh, yeah. with their like purpose and stuff she said in a world seized with emergencies that activists are scrambling to address it is frustrating enough when you feel like years have passed and all the attempts mm. you've made to improve the world have come to nothing what would it be like to feel that for centuries for longer would you really want the long view how much perspective could you stand to have about humanity and i guess yeah. i think she had like a very gracious view on this movie and um mm-hmm. I I I appreciate that. Um I mean I I think that like 
it could be like <laughs> I think it is like too violent and the whole like uh like copaganda choose who lives or die thing that you just said is mm-hmm. like true at the same time as like these angsty like quote unquote heroes like struggling with their purpose I guess <laughs> I know yeah it's good. I think it's like it's a critique of superhero movies at large, right. you know. And this mm-hmm. one kind of tries to address it more, which accidentally opens up more like mm-hmm. plot holes or yeah. not or logic holes. I guess. Right. Uh, well, it's also the writing is bad. The writing is we, not good. Yeah, <laughs> the writing is not good. Um, let's see. It was adapted by the guy who wrote the comic book, and mm-hmm. people say things like, at one point, Andy turns to Nile and says. Uh, she says, me and those three men in there will keep you safe. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's such a weird way to yeah. talk about. And I saw some reviews saying that like, oh, you can really tell that they've been friends for centuries. And I was like, no, you can't. You really can't tell that. I don't know. I, it didn't feel, they didn't feel lived into me or like. I thought they did. I thought, I thought okay. the characters and I think, but not because of the writing. I think because yeah. of the, the acting. like acting and the direction. <laughs> like, um, in bilge ebry's variety mm-hmm. review he said the director's camera diligently observes her characters without rushing them along to the next big narrative or emotional climax that kind of intimacy obviously comes in handy when you're telling a love story but when it's transferred to the realm of comic books and superheroes a different kind of alchemy occurs a supernatural action fantasy starts to feel heartbreakingly real and i think like <laughs> that the direction really did like save the movie i guess because you are like given those moments to like linger with characters like the two that stick out to me are with niall the Mm -hmm. um one is where she uh is has just discovered something weird is happening because she like came back (laughs) from the dead and it just takes a moment to like put in headphones and like chill for like a very it's very quick but it feels like longer just because of mm. Gina's camera work, I feel like. Yeah. And direction, I guess. Um, and then mm. another one is right before Niall is about to like face the climax of the movie. And she's like in an elevator and she's going up to the 15th floor and she's just like mm. taking a moment to breathe. And I thought, I just really appreciated the moments like that. Yeah, no, I totally agree about that. And um, we should also mention that Niall is played by Kiki Lane, who is also in um, If Bill Street Could Talk, which we discussed in our last episode. And it's nice to see her in a big budget movie that was originally going to have a theater release um, if this year had turned out differently. Uh, This would be one of five big budget um, action movies directed by women that would have been in theaters this year, which is crazy to think about. but you're right, and I think that uh, Gina is – Linda Holmes talks about this in her review too, but, you know, like really affords such a beautiful vulnerability and durability mm. to the black women that she, you know, creates mm. these stories about. Um, another thing that really got me about this movie that I think if this had been different, it would have changed the entire way I felt about this movie was the music. Um, and I hate to – like I saw a lot of – angry men on imdb saying the same thing and i was like oh no i'm agreeing with them that it i it felt like a netflix movie 
right. to me because of the yeah. music where it's like, you know, when you watch Queer Eye and you're like, who, what is this pop song? Is, was this pop song made by like two people trapped in a studio by Netflix <laughs> to come up with like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. like it just felt like it, it, they're, uh, the characters are supposed to be like timeless and the music was like, oh, from this is like a TikTok song. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I agree. I think um, I'm wondering how I would have felt about the movie if I were able to see it in theaters. I feel like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I Part of me thinks that I might have like overlooked things like that if I wasn't just watching it on Netflix. You know, yeah. like maybe it would have felt less like a Netflix movie if I had seen it like in a movie theater. I don't know. But um, like the music didn't bother me that much. It just felt like um, like a superhero movie. Like I think that's one of the, the um, ways it was like, yes, we are like a blockbuster superhero mainstream movie in that like it had these like pop songs i guess Mm -hmm. attached to it i guess what did make it seem like a like lower budget maybe or like like i guess netflix movie i don't know this is like a whole nother conversation that we could get into but we're like I just really hated the title cards that were like Morocco yeah (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) because they just looked like I don't know. They look so like cheesy. I did them in graphic design. Yeah, like yeah. I was like, who designed that? Yeah, (laughs) it's interesting to think about too um, how Netflix spends their money like that. But that is a different discussion. Um, (laughs) Okay, to kind of wrap things up, two other things I wanted to touch on was that the pharma bro villain is played by Dudley Dursley. He's always in movies, and I'm like, he's so familiar looking. And then I'm like, he's Dudley Dursley. That is crazy. I read that in the stock, and I was like, what? And also, he wears a hoodie slash blazer uh, the entire time. Like it's a, it's like a blazer with a hood sewn in it, <laughs> and it's like almost too on the nose. For yeah, the, it like, is. This it evil is. tech bro. <laughs> it also reminded me of what's that fucking movie where Ben Affleck and Matt Damon play angels dogma yeah have you seen dogma and yes. all the angels wear hoodies yeah. and they wear hoodies like over like under blazers yeah too. it reminded me of that um also there's this one scene where the team is like back at a secret hideout place and niall who is like a young marine sees a sculpture and she's like is this a rodan oh yeah. my god and niall and and uh andy's like yeah and booker's like yeah maybe she slept with him and i was thinking also like it's not he the homeboy made a ton of sculptures like his his output was insane he because he also because he just made casts where you could just reproduce them like crazy Mm -hmm. so her for her to have it like it was such a weird detail because it felt Mm -hmm. to me like the author like googled like famous sculptor yeah he was like the first one that came up (laughs) and because it just would not have been that remarkable we actually had a classmate of ours at drew university discovered one in a basement uh, Mallory. Yeah. Do you remember that story? Yep. Mallory discovered one in a random basement in Madison, New Jersey. Like it's not that. Un- it just, that's all my art history degree is good for is noticing <laughs> small things like that. <laughs> yeah. And also like, I don't know. I was very, I was very impressed with Niall's ability to just be like, wow. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Which is, you know, I don't know. I would just be like, oh, a pretty sculpture. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't even be able to ID it right away. Like, uh, yeah. Niall's well-rounded. She's very well-rounded. Exactly. (laughs) 
Mackenzie, what are your final thoughts? Or do you want to do one-star reviews? So this is our first one-star review for The Old Guard. One of the opening scenes is her, Charlize Theron's, buddies, betting on her being able to name the ingredients of a piece of pastry she eats. Who cares? Not me. Does it do something for the plot story or character development? Of course not. There's no meaningful dialogue either. They're not wrong. I I mean... I yeah, do like no. that scene about the pastry because it's very like decadent and it feels cozy. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the character, the meaningful dialogue is uh, maybe it's too meaningful. It's trying mm-hmm. to do too much in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The second review is boring, predictable, bad acting, unwanted social messaging, which I thought was interesting, and I saw a lot of reviews like this, and I was like what people have become so sensitive to that kind of thing like angry reviewers yeah. what is like every superhero movie has social messaging like don't kill people or save the world you know yeah. like what yes. the fuck is the social messaging i was even thinking like this isn't even like that this what like what <laughs> yeah. they get? what what or is this person like pro big pharma like i don't understand I yeah, what they could be very weird i don't understand this perspective at all it's because uh, it's there's a black that woman yeah exactly and, exactly yeah. exactly that's what it's code for yeah is uh anytime women speak or <laughs> black people appear it's unwanted social messaging um and the last review is the soundtrack might be the worst part of this movie but it's closely followed by the quotation powerful female leads also per the norm the one straight white guy is either evil or stupid in this case both maybe it's the norm because it's true <laughs> yeah i'm like oh okay maybe there is some social messaging in there that i can get behind <laughs> Mackenzie, what is your rating for The Old Guard? You know, I almost liked it more the second time watching it. And after reading a lot about it, I also liked it more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't love this movie, though. I But it was fun, and I enjoyed watching it. And seeing Kiki Lane again mm-hmm. right after watching uh, Beale Street, I was just like, can she be in every movie? It's just like elevating yeah, my movie-watching so experience. Um and I mean, I love I love Charlize's performance um, too. And obviously, we've waxed on about Gina. Yeah. So I loved all that. So I'll give it like a six, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I would like to see a sequel too. You know, like I think it is like refreshing enough as a superhero movie where I'm like, okay, like let's get a sequel when yeah. I'm like cancel Umbrella Academy cancel yeah <laughs> like give give gina uh money to do whatever she wants exactly <laughs> and have this is opening some a tangent that we did not address but have andy have her queer lover queen uh reunite with her because that's yes. the only interpretation i accept of yeah really <laughs> same <laughs> i know i'm gonna give it did you rate it i think a six yeah Okay, six yeah i'm gonna give it a five but i i did like it it mm-hmm. was good and i did appreciate like you said Cosign appreciated a lot more reading about it and mm-hmm. felt more um, aware of Gina's directing in those uh, action scenes and how mm-hmm. they differed from other big budget superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Right, on to our next boy. Our next movie is Fast Color from 2018. Ruth is on the run. She experiences terrible migraines that trigger earthquakes. Earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> she experienced. Okay. <laughs> 
Ruth is on the run. She experiences terrible migraines that trigger earthquakes, and it's this unfortunate ability that keeps her in the crosshairs of mysterious government groups. After escaping the clutches of a scientist, she makes her way home to her mother Bo's house, where she left her infant daughter Lila years ago. Bo and Lila experience a different version of Ruth's destructive power. Instead, they can disintegrate any object down to small grains and experience beautiful auras. Back at the family homestead, Ruth learns about the matriarchal origin of her family's power and what it means to wield such a force. What did you think about this movie, Bridget? I really liked it. I know it came out two years ago and there was kind of a big social media push to get it more attention because Mm -hmm. it was so poorly marketed Mm -hmm. and um, kind of had a disappointing uh, box office return because Mm -hmm. of the poor marketing. Um, So I kept meaning to see it Mm -hmm. and I was happy for the excuse to finally sit down and watch it. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked it a lot and I thought it was a really good, interesting um, point of comparison to the old guard Mm -hmm. and how they both kind of tweak superhero stories. This one uh, is very like personal and small scale. Mm -hmm. And I do really enjoy like superhero movies that are basically just the origin story Mm -hmm. and don't ever get to, you know, like Mm -hmm. the wielding an awesome force of power part. Right. Um, It's almost like a superpower story and not a super, I feel like they, they're not like a hero yet. I guess they could become that, but yeah, for sure. And, um, let me find that part about the, so this movie premiered at South by Southwest in 2018, directed by Julia Hart, also written by her, um, it was acquired by Code Black Films, the African American focused arm of Lionsgate Entertainment, and then Lionsgate ended their Code Black partnership right before they were set to distribute it. The film's marketing was cut, and Fast Color made just seventy six thousand dollars in its April nineteenth limited release on seven twenty five screens. Really disappointing because I mm-hmm. feel like this could have been um, kind of like an indie darling mm-hmm. and gotten more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, do do uh i have to say this julia hart's husband is the producer who in the famous clip from the oscars where la la land was erroneously given the oscar he's the bald white guy who is like this is wrong this is wrong oh it's wow. moonlight moonlight you're the winner and he like goes back up and uh-huh. uh because he was a producer of la la land but another thing that i will never forget about him and that he's been roasted online for many times <laughs> is he won Maybe when he was first giving the acceptance speech for La La Land, erroneously winning the Oscar, he looked into the camera and he said, I'd like to thank my beautiful blue-eyed wife. And people online were like, what? Ooh, what? Why did he say that? (laughs) And he meant Julia Hart. That's so weird. It is weird, right? Okay. It is weird. (laughs) It is weird. It's just weird. I don't know. It'd be like saying, I'd like to thank my beautiful blonde wife. Yeah, that is strange. (laughs) Anyway, that really distracted me from this movie. Let's not let it distract us any farther, but it needed to be said. Um, I really loved the performances in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra as Ruth, Lorraine Toussaint as her mom, Bo, and Sania Sidney as Lila, the daughter, who was a very good child actor Mm -hmm. and liked her performance a lot. I saw that she's actually going to be in the movie about um, uh, Venus and Serena Williams playing one of them. Ooh, um, cool. That's coming out. I think it's going to be really good. Uh, I feel like Bo felt like the perfect mixture of like a warm grandmother mm-hmm. and a fierce matriarch. And it was 
really cool and totally a first time experience to see a super, I mean, I guess it's not for us. Like we watched, um, we watched Eve's Bayou earlier this summer, which kind of has like a matriarchal, like mm-hmm. supernatural power mm-hmm. flow through that too, but still uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what else has that? Mm-hmm. Strong Girl Bong Soon, a Korean Ooh. drama on Netflix that everyone can watch. <laughs> but they have like a super strength passed down in the matriarchal line. Oh, I love it. And they also keep a journal. Oh, oh yeah. I like that part a lot too, where <laughs> Bo reads from at the beginning of the film and throughout it uh this journal that all the women in the family have kept where they describe their powers Mm -hmm. um it's an interesting power to have too and julia hart has talked about this in interviews where she wanted to show how women can create things rather than destroy things Mm -hmm. which i think is kind of like gender essentialist Mm -hmm. you know i think I don't like the idea of tying necessarily women's power to creating things, which yeah. sounds very like womb like, yes. you know? <laughs> uh, and I, all, but I did think that this movie kind of didn't hit you over the head, at least with women power equals nature. Right. Uh, like Ruth makes it rain at the very end of the movie and she also can summon earthquakes. Mm-hmm. I was like, at least they were subtle about that. Yeah. But then reading Julia Hart kind of be like, women create good. I was like, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think I think what is like more refreshing and new, or I guess like um, in Melissa Leon's Leon mm-hmm. review in the Daily Bee, she says, uh, "In this movie, the way women come together and talk and put things back together is a superpower mm-hmm. in itself." Mm-hmm. Um, that I thought was very cool. I like that description better. Yeah, because. Like that is, I I just like love that shit. Like that's like my favorite part yeah. about like any movie ever is where like just women are sitting around talking and like possibly yeah. like working through shit. Yeah, like put uh, put things back together. Okay, yes. Like even if it's not literally like a bowl that they disintegrate and put back mm-hmm. together, like which is this movie. But you know, just yeah, working through stuff. I think that's very cool that it was like translated into this like superpower, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also thought it was cool that it was all about like owning power and like, Mm -hmm. and it it, same with the old guard that it's about like figuring out the purpose of the power. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting how with these, like you see three generations of women and Lila, the youngest is the one grappling with this the most and Mm -hmm. she is just wondering why and that if they can do something good with it and um there's a part in uh the movie one sec where um Bo is uh okay she says she's talking to Ruth there's part in the movie where Bo is talking to Ruth and she says, Ruth says, I don't want to mess up this time. And Bo replies, we're all just doing the same thing over and over again, hoping that someone will get it right. And then right at that moment, um, there's a sound of Lila fixing a, car, a truck that she had been working mm. on the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And it was finally working as soon as she said that. And I thought it was like, a, 
a very like well-timed moment where it was like, oh, like maybe this new generation is going to uh-huh. be the one to like affect change with her powers. And I mm-hmm. think um, that even though it's like, I guess, implied that Lila would be the first one to get it right, that Bo had been like wrestling with that for a long time. And like she, mm-hmm. when talking to her like lover, the sheriff, she says um, about the men that ha- end up kidnapping Lila. Mm-hmm. She says she's wasn't afraid she couldn't stop the men. She was afraid she could. And I mm-hmm. thought that was a super interesting line, like, yeah. and made me wonder if she, like, it obviously alluded to, like, a lot of things that she had been grappling with. And, like, mm-hmm. um, like it felt like she had been hiding from her own power. Um, like, and if by saying that line, she was afraid to find out what she was capable of finally mm-hmm. like testing her powers yeah. or if she was like um afraid she would like lose control or something like ruth had mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something like that i just thought it was like i went i was wondering too if she had tested her powers and discovered like the true like extent of them if she would then be filled with a sense of like regret of not putting them to more mm-hmm. use earlier in her life or something like mm-hmm. that and that was also something she could have been afraid of mm-hmm. and melissa in her review on daily b says um about Bo. i think uh her journey then is one of re of oh well, i think ruth too honestly this applies to um mm-hmm. she says her journey then is one of re-self-discovery that leads all three women to emerge from hiding and own their powers. A story with universal enough themes that take on heightened specific resonance with black female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But Ruth, too, she is able to unlock her powers when she confronts her trauma, which mm-hmm. I thought was um, super interesting, too. What did you think about that? Agreed, and it was just, it was interesting to watch um, the like one of the final scenes where Bo confronts the government men cops who mm-hmm. have kidnapped her granddaughter, and she disintegrates their guns that are mm-hmm. pointed at her. And it was a really affecting moment, obviously, mm-hmm. but interesting to watch in the context of like our current political climate, mm-hmm. which is um, activists, you know, having this like nationwide conversation about like pacifism. Pathi- what the fuck? Pacifism. Pacifism. It sounds wrong, but it is right. It sounds wrong, but it's right. (laughs) Pacifism. About like nonviolent protesting versus like when is the the point where your dignity and livelihood and bodies are so endangered that you, you know, you fight back. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and it was, uh, you know, it was potent and charged to see a black woman disintegrating the guns of law enforcement, Mm -hmm. um, you know, disarming them, but not not enacting violence upon them. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, um, I just thought of what's happening now. And I think, you know, obviously a black critic would be able to kind of speak more about how that moment made them feel or how that moment applies right now. Um, I'm not supporting pacifism (laughs) in the face of a violent regime. Mm -hmm. Obviously I don't think that's right. Um, I support the protests. (laughs) Bridges. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, uh, yeah. it's a very like compelling moment. It's just, she's yeah. like, it, she's, she's not being violent, but she's certainly not being polite, which I think is, yeah. she's like, it's very mm-hmm. clear that she's like, like she slams a door sort of in their face um, mm-hmm. by like, <laughs> uh, 
putting it back together. So yeah. they, you know, like right when they're yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to walk through. I don't know. It's, it is like her power is disintegrating things. So, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Brody in The New Yorker said that this is a superhero movie that's unburdened with the quasi scriptural weight of existing comic book properties and the narrow determinism of their bureaucratic management. It's the rare superhero film that proceeds without a devotion to the spectacular that filters out from the start all the interest that's generated from close attention to ordinary life, which I agree with totally. You know, mm-hmm. this is a, a movie really heavily centered around a family, small family moments, and family dramas. Um, And then Richard goes on to say uh, that Vast Color is a provocative approach to superheroes, but not a radical revision of cinematic form, which I agree with. I I think it's like a good superhero movie, but an okay movie. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that it's, uh, I think it is being developed as a TV show possibly, which I think it would translate really well. Me too. Because I um, was really enjoying the movie up until... Like the fight, like the basically like the climax, I guess, um, and then like sort of on and off towards from then on. Because mm-hmm. when the sheriff arrives at their house to tell them that Ruth is going, like they know Ruth is there, the bad people, mm-hmm. and um, that they need to get out. I think from there, it's just like sort of a nosedive. Uh, like tailspin kind of because yeah it cram it tries to cram so much into that final like act and Mm -hmm. i um it's really a shame because i think that if they had spent more time on it or like uh, allowed the movie to go on for like another 20 minutes or so that um there would have been a lot more like they would have been able to show more than tell. And I think going back Mm. to that moment Mm -hmm. where Ruth confronts her trauma and then is able to like take control of her powers again. I I think that is such an interesting idea. And Mm -hmm. I just wish they had like gone like a few steps further with it because it's, she has a seizure, which is how her the earthquakes mm-hmm. start. Um, but she is having flashbacks to uh, the time when she almost drowned Ly- Lila. And I did appreciate the flashbacks. I thought it was a really good use of like mm-hmm. like confronting the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was almost like a switch had been flipped, and she was like back to being able to control her powers, even though she was having seizures long before she. Mm-hmm. Uh, went through that trauma yeah. and it was just so it was a little like confusing in that way and I also just wanted I wanted more of her working through that trauma which I guess she had been doing the entire movie but I just at the end mm-hmm. it felt rushed and I also wish it like alluded to the fact that uh, part of her gaining control of her powers was also like reconnecting with like the generations past generations Mm -hmm. of her family or future generations like her daughter and she makes a comment um where she's talking about seeing lila's face and being able to know what it looks like helped her like ground her and bring her out of the trauma Mm -hmm. a little bit and Mm -hmm. i just i wanted more of that at the end um like that that connection i wanted it to be stronger um Mm -hmm. but but 
I mean, hopefully they are able to turn it into a TV show and have more time to sort of explore that. I think also I read that Julia Hart had not originally envisioned the family as specifically a family of black women. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I like, I'm applaud her for colorblind casting because the cast is great Mm -hmm. and it does add, um, like a lot of interesting, um, you know, text Mm -hmm. to the movie, uh, especially about, you know, Ruth on the run mm-hmm. and um, kind of grappling with this power. But I think in the TV show version, they can maybe perhaps bring in, you know, um, black writers and kind of more specifically yeah. pay attention to the details mm-hmm. that would make kind of push it farther into making it a really like rich story yes. about specifically black women with um, this, this special power. Um, Ooh, I did want to mention that I really like the production design, oh, yes. specifically the kitchen. Yes, it was great. Oh, incredible. And the cinematography. It was like a very beautiful yeah. movie, for sure. Really beautiful movie. And the the special effects were really interesting. Um, mm. There's We kind of introduced to them the power in one scene where Bo is smoking a cigarette and it kind of disintegrates the cigarette, mm-hmm. cigarette into ash and fire, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's, it's really beautiful. It's really well done. It's kind of sparing. So it is more special when it appears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you want to touch on? I just, it's I like reading the reviews for this movie. It was clear that so many people like, I don't know why, but so many people had not seen the movie, but wrote reviews for it. <laughs> It was like crazy. I like some of the IMDb reviews just end like that. Uh, the one on the observer. Oh, I know. Like, I I I just, it's like, I know that we've talked about this before, how like sometimes it's clear that like whoever wrote the review, like had not ever seen the movie, but it's wild that it's like someone's job to watch movies and write about them. And then the person just does, doesn't watch the movie. Yeah, like the guy in the observer was like, why didn't she just, if it hasn't rained in eight years, why didn't she just make it rain? It's like, because she fucking had to go through a whole story arc to get to that point. And there were, yes, and there were also, he just like, literally, there were just like facts about the movie that he made up. Yeah, I know. He was like, she was a drunk the entire movie. I was like, what? She was never, she was never drunk His name is Rex Reed and he's paid to write movies. And he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be. Yeah. God. Yep. I'm an idiot. Pointless. Well, let's jump into one-star reviews with more idiots. Uh, there were crazy reviews for this movie. Okay, here's the first one. Don't expect high-intensity action. In- okay, wait. I should preface this by saying each of these sentences has an exclamation point. <laughs> Don't expect high-intensity action in the film. Slow like hell. Too much boring conversation. Most intense scene is Ruth escape from scientist's car. A police, Ellis, turnout is her father. But who is her husband? The film never told us. Oh, Not important. God. Not important. Not important. Also, Ruth literally says, I don't even remember who your father is. Yeah. Delilah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Her husband. (laughs) It's like, where is this woman's father? (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, So the next one is possibly the worst movie ever made. No sense, no action, no story, no nothing. Whatever they were trying to convey, they missed by 10 miles. Save yourself 100 minutes and watch something else. Boo. And this is the last one. Oh, this one's so good. The talentless director managed to make her superhero movie nothing more than false pretense and melodramatic family drama. Scenes look like this, in caps. Talking and crying in the kitchen. Talking and hugging in the yard. Hugging. Talking. Crying and yelling. Etc. Etc. 
I'm like, that describes a movie I like. Yeah, same. And it's like, it is a a family melodrama, you know? Yeah. Luckily for this reviewer, there are plenty of action films that do not have hugging and crying in them. (laughs) Yes. Not good. The more hugging and crying, the better. Yes, I agree. 100. That's like our motto at Chick Flicks. I know. Talking and crying in the kitchen, things I do every day. (laughs) I love to see them represented in film. Yeah, same. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give this movie a six really liked it i think i agree with you it'll be a better tv show yeah i am gonna also give it a six um i liked it better the second time um this is a second rewatch for both of these movies and i think both of them improved upon the second watch and after reading a bunch about him so Mm. yeah six um but everyone should go check out both of these movies like you'll have a lot of fun with both of them for sure it would really help us out if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChickFlixPod and email us at ChickFlixPodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode will air on September 21st, and we will be releasing an older episode that we recorded earlier in the summer on the films Jaws and House. ChickFlix is researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Tim Crew Carlson for our music. Thanks for listening to ChickFlix. Bye. Bye.